This is exactly right. Welcome to My Favorite Murder. This is the podcast uh, where we tell you true crimes and um, horrible things that happen to good people. Yeah. And a little about ourselves sometimes when we... Oh, just a tad. <laughs> just a touch about ourselves. When we feel like going on a tangent. Um, which is every single episode for a minimum 49 minutes. Yeah. But so. there's, it's sprinkled throughout. Get ready. Oh, yeah. Also, we don't just keep it at the top. We'll put it in the middle and then also at the end. I mean, listen... Look. Look and listen. Okay, so we should probably start with the biggest announcement and the one that people constantly tweet us about and ask us about. Um, thank you for your interest. We are going on tour again, and we are now going to announce the dates of our Australian and American uh, tour. Yeah. Are you ready to hear what we're doing? Yeah, Australia, you know already, but we're adding a couple shows, actually. So New Zealand, Auckland is there are still tickets available. It's on Wednesday, September sixteenth, and then September sixth. Thank you. That says Wednesday, September sixth, <laughs> beginning of September. And then we're adding shows in Melbourne and Sydney because we have two shows in each, and they sold or one or they sold out. So September tenth in Melbourne at the Comedy Theater, Melbourne, Melbourne, and September twelfth. In Sydney, Australia, there's another show at the fucking, at the opera, fucking opera, house. opera House. At the Sydney Opera House. Dude. Side room. <laughs> Is that true? <laughs> we're in the jazz room. No, I have no idea. And we're actually in the bathroom. <laughs> we're just going to be in the bathroom. Yeah, that's right. If you want to come and talk to us at the Sydney Opera House, we're going to be loitering in the uh -huh. women's bathroom mm -hmm. from 9 to 11. It's actually a, a chamber orchestra that night, but yeah. we'll be in the bathroom. Yes. Yeah. Do you want to switch off and we'll just do the dates and cities of each one after? Yeah. Okay, so listen to this, you guys. On Friday, September 29th, we're coming to Detroit, Michigan. So excited for that. On October 13th, San Diego, California. On October 14th, Anaheim. California. On October 19th, Minneapolis, Minnesota. On October 20th, Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, November 3rd, Tampa, Florida. November 4th, Orlando, Florida. November 5th, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. November 10th, this is big. We've They've been waiting for us. Houston, Texas, we're coming to you. Fuck yeah. And then November 11th, don't worry, Dallas, we're going to be there. Oh, hell yeah, Dallas. We saw your TV show. <laughs> we know how good you can be. December 8th, St. Louis, Missouri. And then December 9th, Kansas City, Missouri. And that's it for our 2017 tour. And then there's going to be more more stuff going on in 2018 but so we also want to tell you guys okay so monday july 31st at 10 a.m the pre-sale tickets go on sale and the the password is murderino but you have to go to my favorite murder slash live and then click the links for each show there because otherwise some fucking scalpers are going to buy them and tell you that this is the, the link you want to use and it's not true so if you want the official link you have to go to my forward slash live and then find your city there and buy your tickets off the link that we have listed we can't read there's lots of complaints last time yeah. about scalping and prices and all that kind of stuff and that's why we do pre-sale so our fans that hear this show can get their tickets first and then you have to do it off the official link right. obviously we can't you know we can't make everything work but um that's we were trying to make things a little bit better so people aren't like buying some you know nasty weird website Tickets that don't exist right. or whatever. So, Murderino. That's, I'm, which I'm really excited about. 
a lot of these cities, and I won't say which ones I'm. I was about to say which ones I'm most I mean, excited about. It, that would be great to not <laughs> for, for you to not say what you aren't looking forward to. I'm not gonna do that. Um, okay, what else do you have? You got nothing. Um, no, I have a thing or two. Let's hear it. Okay. Well, it's all just like my rambling. But my brother was on a jury where someone died. It was like a race car guys on the street and they crashed into a car and killed someone. And as he was telling me, my seven year old nephew was like, yeah, and like giving me details. So I was like, OK, he knows about it. How cute would it be if I, had, I recorded him talking about it in hometown? And so I was like, Micah, tell me what happened. And he was just like, well, someone died. It was so depressing that I was like, well, I'm OK. Yeah. I'm not playing that. Yeah. That's sad. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think seven years. Some I'm <clears throat> last night at a show I did. Someone's like, oh, my nine and 10 year old nieces love your show. And I was like, that's bone chilling. I don't think that's good at all. Oh, every, nine and 10 year olds turn this off. Yes. But can then lose a couple listeners. Some awesome murderinos that were also backstage. One of the guys, I'm sorry, I can't remember your name. He goes, that's around the time I started getting interested in true crime. And then I was like, oh, oh okay. Okay, then I don't feel as bad. <laughs> that's true, I guess. Right. Yeah, well, I think for for me it was sixth grade. So yeah. you know, kids are very advanced. And it's days. like the if even though it's not true crime, it's like the revving up of it. The things you're suddenly really interested in, like scary movies and bad things. And um, actually, speaking of children, so this girl named Sarah underscore Hall tweeted at us a photo of her nine-year-old sister and she said she just named her own bat she i guess was in baseball she just named her own bat ted bunty all on her own yeah and i was like well that's fucking incredible yeah that's hilarious yeah i mean georgia so loves a pun <laughs> I, I love a pun and i love a nine-year-old <laughs> you know and i love uh, baseball a lot i mean it's everything you love love everything if only that little girl had a vintage dress on oh. while she did that Lose my mind. Later. Uh, well, I got a tweet that I found very interesting. And uh, it's like this, the kind of, you know, conversations that we like to have. Um, it was the Coastal Horizons Rape Crisis Center in Wilmington, North Carolina. Yes. Sent a tweet. Um, so they basically said, hey, ladies, big fans of your podcast. However, we were disappointed to hear the unintentional victim blaming that took place on the 20." Uh, a 2020 episode re uh, covering your drinks the onus oh. is never on the victim to stop an assault we need to have a culture shift where instead of telling victims what to do or not to do tell perps hey don't rape people yes also drug is the number uh, alcohol is the number one drug used to facilitate sexual assault not roofies um in parentheses, not saying it doesn't happen, but misinformation can unintentionally compound victims' trauma. We are a rape crisis center in Wilmington, um, North Carolina, uh, and we frequently hear victims blaming themselves mm. because they, quote, did everything right, my friend watched my drink, etc., and they are still assaulted. So just wanted to let you all know, love your work. Uh, which I think is such a good point. Totally. Um, we obviously, and we don't, it's not like we need to make excuses, but when we were having that conversation, we were coming from that, that point of view, which is very, for me, it's very eighties of like, you have to, you have to like, you have to, um, be on the lookout at all times kind of a yeah, thing. Yeah, be on the defense yeah. and kind of like be aggressively, uh, you know, aware and all that kind of stuff. But it's such a good point that, it doesn't matter. You can be the yeah. most aware. You can be the most, you know, responsible. All these things, and then something can happen to you. Yeah. And we never want people to feel like, in any way, obviously, that that would be our messaging. So or that they're to blame because that 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 hurt me so much and made me sad. Of like, they come in there and feel to blame 
I mean, they didn't cover their drink like we're telling them to do. Or with the fact that she said it's usually alcohol, not it's just alcohol. It's yeah. not like they need to roofie you to, to take advantage or to assault you. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's really actually a very common thing right. that people use all the time that doesn't make anybody feel that worried in the beginning. Yeah. And it's the. Yeah. Um, I think also we were having that conversation because it was around the time that that girl, uh, it was that thing that happened in Santa Monica where these women saw a guy right. put some, a drug into a girl's drink and they basically went and got her in the bathroom and were yeah. like, we just saw this thing. So we were kind of going off of that in a way, but you know, thank you for the correction because that's a really good point and that really is, you know, please raise your sons not to rape. That would be great. <laughs> yeah, that would be awesome. Um, did you see the trailer for the movie My Friend Dahmer? Yes. Holy shit. Oh my God. We're that not being looks, paid. We're not being paid. We're not being paid. We uh, should be. I want to see it today. I know. It looks so great. It looks so good. I love that there's not, it doesn't seem like there's anything about him being an older person and actually committing. Is there? That's not uh, what the book's about. I didn't, I only, I don't think it is because I feel like I did read that. Um, comic yeah. book, the graphic novel, right? But I can't remember the end. I mean, I it's just the story of him. But I think it's him in high school and yeah. like basically when it all started. I think him. it's going on the idea that you already know who Dahmer is and what he's done, and then so 100%. while you're watching the movie, you're like, oh, this is a thing that made it happen. This is a thing that started it. And it's kind of, teenage Dahmer. Yeah, yeah. It looks and it looks so creepy and so eerie and. It's really ominous. They, they're the very one of the first shots in that yeah. trailer is kind of a wide of the front of a school, and it's just kids in kind of like late seventies clothing walking around, and then you just notice there's a guy just standing there staring, <laughs> and it's really fucking creepy. It almost looks like if Napoleon Dynamite was like a scary movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly fucking right. <laughs> you change the soundtrack to Napoleon yes. Dynamite, which I love when people. I love those those. <laughs> I love like the Mrs. Doubtfire as a horror movie. Yes. Have you seen that one? Oh yeah, I fucking love those. Or The Shining as a rom com, totally. or like a family sitcom. Totally, or like a coming together. What's that song? Da 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 da. da. I'm oh, coming um, home. Is it uh, Shakira? Were you were you singing Shakira? <laughs> Probably. Hips don't lie. Yes. YMCA. Steven. I think it's the Salisbury, the yes. Peter Gabriel song, oh. Salisbury Hill. Yes. Something like that. Salisbury Hill. Salisbury yeah. Hill. Okay. Because mm-hmm. I thought saying Salisbury was clearly going to be wrong, so I didn't say it. You were scared to risk it. Yeah. I see. Steak. Got you. Sal- Salisbury steak and all that. <laughs> you know that beautiful Peter, Peter Gabriel song, uh, Rolling Up on Salisbury Steak? <laughs> I love that song. It's so like, there's those weird, I don't know what instrument it is, but it's like, like he's blowing into a windpipe is that a thing <laughs> or like what was the ones you had to play it as a kid a recorder. recorder i love peter gabriel there might be a recorder solo at the beginning of salisbury hill salisbury steak salisbury steak all of that is misinformation <laughs> that entirety of misinformation wait what were we talking about uh oh jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> Fucking Napoleon really, Dynamite. If you have, if you're an editor, if yes. you have the time, yes. If you care, could you please make Napoleon Dynamite into it? I bet <laughs> into you could a take, scary movie with a soundtrack. I bet you could take the op- the like trailer from Napoleon Dynamite, <laughs> just put all of this, the exact same. Um, like voiceover and words from the trailer for Dahmer, just put him in there. So, yeah. So it's like Napoleon Dynamite's mouth is moving in yeah. that weird, like his braces are still on, but they're not. Mash it up. 
His oh friend. His God. friend is um. His friend Pedro. Pedro is the friend who wrote the book. Like it's just perfect. It's perfect. Did you plan this? Yes, it's all written down. Oh, is it? Let me no, see. no, it's not. Let me see those notes. Oh man, nothing Such I say is ever planned. Obviously, <laughs> <laughs> I never plan anything. We absolutely assure you that uh, almost nothing is pre-written on this show. No, even the things that are supposed to be. Yeah, like our stories. I think that's all I had. Um, Did you have anything else? I'm sure I can. I have other things that I just can't think of. And uh, oh, I keep writing things that I don't know. Like, I'll be like, oh, I should make a note for pre show. And then I don't know what it means. So I have Yan Can Cook written down. <laughs> <laughs> Yan Can Cook, I feel like, is from when we were talking. I was watching it the other night and then I was like, I got to talk to Karen about this. <laughs> I don't remember why I would talk to you on a murder podcast about Yan Can Cook. Because that guy fucking murders chicken. That guy's the best. Then I wrote embarrassing illness. I don't mm-hmm. know what that means. That's probably Crohn's disease. Yeah. And then I wrote stardust equals anxiety. <laughs> Do you mean angel dust? <laughs> I don't know. And I was like, I think I spelled, I wrote something wrong. And I was like, I'll remember. Were you on drugs or drink? Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 To all. Yes. Always. Well, how do we figure any of those things out? You just take some time with it. No, I don't think we need to. I think as long as I say them. Okay. And then, then everyone knows. Then if we're standing somewhere and a yank can't cook whatever comes by, we're right. both going to be like, this is what it is. Yeah. And Stardust equals anxiety is probably something really interesting. Well, there's a movie called Stardust. Is there? Yeah. I don't know, but why Stardust would I write- Memories is a Woody Allen movie. Oh, no. He would give you Agita if you were. Yeah, no, it's not that. Mm-hmm. I haven't watched that. Okay, anxiety. Is it that we're all made of stardust and that makes you worried? I think it's that. Yeah, I think it's, <laughs> it's that, that. I think it's that uh, I get an- I get anxious when I think of the entirety of the universe, but oh, I don't yeah. know how that has to do anything with murder. Well, we talked about that one time. We did. Yes, because I said, oh, it was when I said. Um, did you see that picture from the Hubble telescope right. that showed universes and balls of gas? Yeah. And then you were like, please yeah. don't do this to me. <laughs> so I must have wanted to elaborate on that. And I was and I was on drink. Do you think there's a movie or something called Stardust that you saw as a child and that you discovered why it gives right. you so much anxiety? I don't know. I feel like trying just generally trying to figure out worries is a fascinating podcast. <gasps> Like, what are you worried? Isn't there a podcast like I'm that? being sarcastic. Oh. <laughs> I got excited. Isn't you go, isn't there already a podcast like that? I think there is, though. Oh, just being, I think I'm worried about the universe. I can't remember how, though. Yeah, I just am. I don't need to explain why. The people get, everyone gets it. Sure. I hope. Well, you need to explain why if you bring it up. Yeah. That's, and, that's really your only the only thing yeah know. and i did stardust gives me anxiety that's not an explanation the and the enormity of the universe gives me anxiety oh okay all right okay okay um should right. we do this yeah i mean i want to ask steven who's going but he's not trustworthy steven just told <sighs> me that he get, keep get keeps getting it wrong which I sucks know. because you're big you're like i'm like well steven knows 
Oh no, he doesn't. I'm, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm no longer a rock. Um, you were attacked. How? You were attacked by that Twitter account who was like, Stephen, get it together. Oh. You've been wrong three times in a row. <laughs> Shut up. You know what it is? You know what I realized what it is my brain was doing to me was it's like Karen, Georgia, Karen, like I'm doing that oh. in my brain. So that's why I kept saying you would go first because in my mind, Georgia you're, went last time, but she went last, last so time. So you're not going, you're going Karen, Georgia, Karen, Georgia. Yes, but that's not. Karen, Georgia, Georgia. Karen, Karen, Karen. Yeah, I'm just, my brain completely just fell apart at that moment. So what can we do to fix this going forward? We have two things that people have made us of how to tell. (laughs) Twitter accounts? No, remember the things they gave us at like A a large abacus? Is Stephen going to drive around with that in his car? No, we can leave it here. Right? I mean, mean, it's your house. (laughs) Flip a coin or... (laughs) Do you think you have it this week? It's, I think, it's Georgia, yeah. Yes, yeah. I thought so too. I really knew that. Stephen would fuck it up. I want to put him. I want to rake him over the coals. <laughs> I needed Steven, it. Stephen, you have five chances. You've used three. <laughs> I, I just love the idea. There's a Twitter account now attacking you because <laughs> they're like because of the job. What's it called again? Who uh, went first? Last who week? went first? Yeah. Well, there was I, like they were like seven, like five days since accident or something. Like oh that. my god. <laughs> Because they were like keeping track, and that was like this so many days funny. since. Oh, should I give ever, Elvis isn't dead, everyone? Yes, you should definitely okay. give that up. So last week I talked about how Elvis was at the vet and how scary it was. Turns out the kitten we got, Dottie, gave everyone a fucking crazy infection, upper respiratory infection. I thought I really truly thought Elvis was going to die, and I had my cry, and I you know apologized to him and held him in, like truly, and he's better now. He's on the mend. He's not going to die, but he. Lost his voice. It's so cute. You have before you leave. You have to see him open his mouth to meow, and and nothing comes out. Yeah. So maybe Dottie will have to do the sign off. Did you see the fan art that people made of Elvis? In in front of a black background, and it just says "I survived" on the side, and then Are in quotes, you? and it's the first time I saw it in quotes. It says, "Yeah, so this kitten tried to kill me, <laughs> dot dot dot, or something like that." The first time I saw it, I almost had a heart attack. I was like, "If she sees this, she's gonna fucking shit a brick." Because yeah. it was he was still not out of right, the woods yet, right? And it was hilariously awful where I was like, I think I'm going to have to ask these people to take it down. Oh well, right, <laughs> like, yeah, what, now what I think died? I didn't see. Oh my god, if he died. Ever, yeah. So thank you ever to everyone. They everyone was so sweet and yes, you know, and said nice things and reassured me. And yeah, he the vet was like, he's not gonna die. Calm down. So thanks. good. Thanks, Village Vet. Good update. Yeah, all is well. Positive update. Hey, Georgia, have you ever been blown away by the most simple dish at a restaurant, like perfectly scrambled eggs? Oh my God, yes, Karen. And then all I want to do is make that dish at home and eat it every day. Well, you probably could, as long as you have the chef's secret ingredient, Made In Cookware. Made In was created to bring restaurant-quality performance kitchenware to home chefs around the world. For years, they've built their business by supplying restaurants and top chefs with high-end cookware. Some of Tom Colicchio's most treasured dishes at his restaurant craft are made in Made In. Whether you're cooking for professional critics or just the critics you live with, your meals will benefit from the quality of Made In products. Like their carbon steel cookware, it combines the best of both cast iron and stainless steel clad, so it's rugged enough for grills or an open flame. It's the MVP of summer cookouts and cook-ins. 
What I really love about made-in cookware is that it actually makes something like having a Memorial Day barbecue much more convenient because you can keep everything on the grill if you need to throw, say, a pan of garlic up on the top while you're grilling your steaks on the bottom. It's strong enough, durable enough to do that. If you want to take your cooking to the next level, remember what so many great dishes have in common. They're all made in, made in. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from May 18th through May 27th when you visit madeincookware.com. That's M-A-D-E-I-N cookware.com. Goodbye. If you're like me, you're always looking for a story to dive into. Whether it's a family drama or a mystery to solve, the key to getting hooked is the details. I need rich visuals and intricate storylines, and June's Journey has that and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young woman, on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murder. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. Explore beautifully designed scenes from the 1920s, like lavish estates and gardens, and don't forget to keep an eye out for hidden clues. There are twists, turns, and catchy tunes, all leading you deeper into the thrilling storyline. And if you play well enough, you could make it to the detective club. There, you'll chat with other players and compete with or against them. June needs your help, but watch out, you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed, but will you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Goodbye. Uh, Okay, so I go first. I just forgot. All right. This is the story of the collar bomb heist. Okay, awesome. You don't know it? I, I don't even really know what you just said. Okay. It's the story of the collar, so a collar bomb, meaning like a collar around her neck. Collar bomb. Is this a woman and her daughter? No. Okay. Heist. Okay. Um, and I just want to up top say that there is an article called, in Wired, by uh, Rich Shapiro that has a really good overview of everything that happened. So I used a lot of his information and I just wanted to give him props for that. And it happened, he wrote it in 2010. Um, so there's a little bit of an update since then. Great. But so we're in Erie, Pennsylvania. Um, I looked this up on my favorite murder email to see if anyone had talked about it. And it's from their town. And a girl named Jessica A. said, the winters are terrible and the summers are filled with water sports on the lake and lots and lots of drinking. In fact, you will find either a church or a bar at every corner. Wow. Which I think describes the town really well. Mm-hmm. All right. August 28th, 2003, at 2.28 p.m., a 46-year-old local man named Brian Wells walks into a PNC bank in Erie and passes the teller a note. The note says, gather employees with your access with access codes to the vault and work fast to fill the ba- this bag with $25,000. You only have 15 minutes. Then he lifts his shirt to show the teller a handcuff-like collar attached to his neck. And according to the note, it's a bomb. Oh, fuck. Um, and the bomb's like a DIY homemade device. It's got a metal, metal collar attached around Wells' neck 
like a handcuff and there are two there were keyholes and a combination lock as well as baking timers and two six inch pipe bombs oh. <laughs> baking timer yeah you mean like the white ones that you turn that your mom's like yeah. you have five minutes sitting out there <laughs> i love that it's never used for banking it's for fucking punish baking it's for punishing your children yes exactly or just being like oh i have to do something in 10 minutes yeah, at nobody, that timer nobody bakes that is okay how disturbing as you're that you're that teller you uh. stayed up really late the night before <laughs> drinking wine with your friends you roll in you're like i'm gonna power through this day yeah and i'll be fine yeah because i'm gonna go out drinking with my friends again yeah and a guy walks up i imagine sweating profusely yeah and like if a guy walks up to you and you're a teller and passes you a note you're like fuck it's not gonna say like hey how are you next nope. is i lost my voice i'm elvis i lost Hi, my I'm voice elvis. i'm here to <laughs> rip off some cookies yeah and um no 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 it's all bad always bad with a note yeah um, always bad with a guy that has to pull up his shirt to prove a point. And he's like, clearly there's something bulging in his shirt collar. Yeah. And he has, a, he has a shirt on. <laughs> his neck is really thick. Yeah. It looks, I bet it would look like he has a, like a trache, trache, tracheotomy, tracheotomy, mm-hmm. kind of, it kind of looked like that. Um, oh. and he has like two shirts on and the shirt over it. And it says, the shirt says guess. It's like a guest brand shirt. No. Which just like fits the... Are you being sarcastic? I fucking swear to God. <laughs> I fucking swear. Okay, I'm going to stop hypothesizing and let you tell the story. <laughs> no, that's, please. That's the show. Just the vi- the visual of like that, but like the jerry-rigged baking timer. And then, but there was also a couple magnetic letters from his refrigerator. And <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? And a pipe cleaner yeah. and some old gum. Yeah. Yes. Stuck to the okay. Yes, is I it don't real? know who the victim is. I don't know who's guilty, and I'm saying things like that. Well, it's okay because okay. here we go. Okay. Um. So the teller is only able to give Brian eight thousand seven hundred dollars because there isn't a way to get into the vault at that time. Like there wasn't enough people there. So the baking timer goes off, <laughs> yeah. and then you suddenly smell cookies. <laughs> And, and Elvis is like <laughs> second in line. Hey, excuse me, those are mine. <laughs> Pulls a cookie out of his neck handcuff. Yeah, and says thanks for doing business with. But me. what he does do, and I'm not fucking kidding. He takes the money and leaves, and he grabs a dum dum lollipop on his way out. Oh, puts it in his mouth. Okay, so he's not as stressed as maybe. That's what you would think. Okay, or he's really stressed and he needs something to occupy him. Uh, Doubtful. Hey, I relate. Doubtful though. Well. I- I just feel like if you think you're about to blow up. Yeah. And look, I love candy. I don't think it would be. You're not like, I'm going to blow up. I'm going to blow up. Oh, dum-dums. Oh, my God. I, dum-dums. Are, I, you know when you get these for Halloween, you get like 10 of them yeah. at a time. You stuff them all in your mouth at once because then it's like a real lollipop. <laughs> I would eat, just eat it fast and then use the stick as a cigarette. Yes. Just stand around fake smoking. Look how good I look smoking. Guys. Um, all right. Maybe okay. that guy needed a cigarette and he knew that was the closest. He was That's getting. what it is. And he was like, I probably can't smoke around a bomb. Those things probably don't <laughs> go hand in hand. There might be gasoline in this. Definitely. Yeah, I don't know how bombs are made. You pour gasoline on them? I don't know. About 15 minutes after he walks out, state troopers spot Brian Wells. That's his name. Standing outside of his. Guess what kind of car he has. Um, if you get this right, I'm going to barf. Is it a Le Mans? No, it's that. I don't know. It's like some kind of pseudo fancy car. No, it's a Geo Metro. <gasps> oh, remember, remember those? those? <laughs> Second only to the Yugo. In yeah, bad cars. It's for you young kids. It's just, it's just like the first hatchback, and those aren't cool. It's like a Fiat that gave up on itself. It's like an '80s hatchback. Um, 
But this is 2003. I don't know. So Geo- wait, he had a Geo Metro in 2003. Yeah, maybe he was an antique shitty car collector. Do you know what he actually was? What a pizza delivery man. Oh, yeah. Okay. So you can see a pizza delivery man having that car. Yeah. Okay. But uh, the tires have absolutely no tread on them. Whatsoever. Yeah. They're like all what's the ones in the back. Oh, like the replacement tires. Yeah, they're all replacement tires. They're all tires. spares. Yeah, they're all spares. Four spares on a Geo Metro. Yeah. I'm sorry we're making fun of this guy. Um, but it'll be okay and you'll find out why. Okay. It's not, well, no, you'll find out why at the end it actually gets really fucking bad. Now. Yeah, I bet it gets bad. In the it middle. gets really bad. Okay. Um, so they apprehend him. They cuff his hands behind his back. And then Brian says to them that while out on a pizza delivery, he had been attacked by a group of black men because that's everyone's excuse who claim who chained the bomb around his neck at gunpoint and forced him to rob the bank yep that's how it's done he says it's gonna go off i'm not lying (laughs) he's he's like desperate at this point it's gonna go off i'm not fucking lying um and can i just say one thing yes always i my first agent in this business who was a who was a mastermind and a genius one of the first pieces of advice she ever gave me was whether whatever people explicitly state to you for without you asking them is a lie. Just right. immediately reverse it in your head of like saying like if I went to a meeting uh-huh. at a management place and they were like, look, we don't just take whoever and like throw it all against the wall and see what happens. It's like, oh, you just take whoever and throw yeah. it. Yeah. Is that kind of thing where you just have to kind of. Why would you proclaim this to me if it were true? And I didn't you even just, ask you. Yeah, exactly. Or say, I'm not lying. Yes. That means I'm lying. Why would you need to tell people that if you have a live bomb on your body or that just happened to you? I feel like probably sociopaths say I'm not lying a lot because they don't expect people to believe. They don't expect people to be smart enough to be like, I know that that's a line that people say to get them like, and they just don't think anyone's smart. That's true. I would think that they would be the kind of people who wouldn't say I'm not lying is almost just like a try. And I don't think they try. Right. Very much. I or think they, they know just the like tells. so balls out. Yeah. That yeah. they're just like, I'm not nervous. Therefore, you're never going to ask me a question in the first place. Right. And That's if you ask creepy. me, I'm going to tell you. Yeah, OK, you're yeah. going to believe me. All right. I'm not lying. So the officers <laughs> call the bomb squad and they take their positions behind their cars. Their guns are drawn and they leave Brian sitting in the middle of the street cross-legged handcuffed behind his back with his bomb around his neck and he's in the middle of the road just sitting there okay there's a video of all this and okay i'll tell you in a second okay for 25 minutes while news crews news people are filming there they he's laying in the street he's sitting cross-legged in the street okay kind of like slumped in the street um he's kind of fidgeting and stuff so they're sitting there for 25 minutes then out of nowhere the device starts to beep uh-uh. Beep, beep. And you see him, it's all on video. You see him kind of look down and start to struggle like he's trying to get away from the collar. And then it fucking goes off. No. Yeah. And no. the, the video, there is video on this and they, they don't warn you that they're about to show it. And so I saw it and I got really, and having to look this up and look at video and news stuff, I, I just kept having to turn my head away because it's so awful and That's he fucking horrifying. dies. That's horrifying. So you know this guy dies and yeah. you see this bomb go off. And people were probably watching it live and see this happen. Fuck. I, I'm so surprised. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, he, he looked surprised, too, that it was even going off, meaning I don't think he thought it was real. Um, and it detonates, loud explosion, blowing into his face. He falls back onto the ground. 
Um, he dies almost instantly, I believe. The bomb had ripped a huge hole in his chest. Ugh. Three minutes later, the bomb squad arrives. Oh, no. I know. So they, when later the police search his car and they find handwritten notes that were addressed to the bomb hostage. And they say, one of them says, there's only one way you can survive and that is to cooperate completely. This powerful booby-trapped bomb can be removed only by following our instructions. Act now, think later, or you will die. Sorry, handwritten notes to this guy? Yeah, so okay, it's basically, okay, okay. they're handwritten notes to the guy, to Brian. I thought that meant his handwritten No, okay. yeah, someone else had written these notes to him. They were in his car. Okay. So they, the police had caught him. It was almost like a scavenger hunt, but he had to rob the bank, then go to these certain places to get uh, the keys, give them the money, that sort of thing. Right. So, but police had caught him in the middle of the scavenger hunt. Uh, so they tried to finish the uh, scavenger hunt themselves and find the notes. But someone had removed the re- remaining notes after Brian had been killed. So they found the places where they were supposed to be, but there wasn't anything else there. And sorry, was that um, like the video you watched or whatever? Was that shown live on the news? It had to have been because people were talking about having watched it. Fuck. Yeah. Sitting that's there with their ho- kids, so probably. Horrible. And it was at like three o'clock something. So there must have been kids after school watching that. 100%. How traumatized are those children? It's the worst. I, I watched it and I was fucked. I am a little fucked up from it. No, you can't like. Yeah. It's that kind of shit. You have to be so, so careful and, and prepared yeah. for. Yeah. All right. Um, they trace Brian's last pizza delivery on the day of his death, which is when he said he got attacked. They found that his last order was to be delivered on the outskirts of the city at a local at a location of to ended up being a TV transmission tower where the address was. Mm-hmm. And they could tell by the scuff marks in the dirt that that's where the collar had been attached. Um, but he was supposed to be off right before that call came in to order the pizzas, which was kind of mysterious. All right. Then cut to September 20th, less than a month after the bomb killed Brian. 59-year-old Bill Rothstein, who was a handyman and lifelong resident in the area, calls 911. He gave the operator his address and told him there was a frozen body in his garage freezer. What? Yeah. He told him that. What he, the story, his story was that in mid-August, his ex-girlfriend, Marjorie Deal Armstrong, had called him and told him she had shot her live-in boyfriend, James Roden, in the back with a Remington 12-gauge shotgun in a dispute over money. Mm. And then she asked him to help her clean up and move the body, which he agreed to. And so the body had been in his freezer for five weeks. He also melted down the gun and scattered the pieces around the county. Wow. Yeah. Thorough. Thorough. How do you melt down a gun? I don't even fucking know. Power tools? He, I think he was he was a Double handyman. Boiler? Yeah. He's a handyman, so he oh. probably knows a lot about... He had some fucking welding thing exactly. or whatever. Shit. Um, probably put some like I don't know you know there's some powder you can probably put on something to make it flammable oh I think I've seen things where if you put diet coke on a piece of meat (laughs) oh why do I stop it I got so excited isn't that a thing it is but I'm sure it doesn't melt guns I'm almost positive let's try it let's see Steven Uh, Steven get your gun out (laughs) just shoots both of us wouldn't that be hilarious they told me you, I have it on tape. It's such a weird ending to that podcast yeah. because everyone liked Steven. Now we're but it wondering turns out he really didn't like those girls. What is it? Just fictional? The whole podcast? <laughs> now we have to go back and listen again. The whole thing was a play. And we have to write down all the times we yelled at Steven. <laughs> Slowly building yeah. the rage in Steven. And you can hear him breathing in the background mm-hmm. harder and harder every week. Meanwhile, he has both hands over his face laughing He's like a little bright red, little 
Japanese girl. <laughs> just giggling, giggling. Steven. Um, okay, so he tells them he just couldn't go with the final plan, which was to grind the body up. So he called 911. He was afraid of what um, she might do to him. So he says he was so distraught that he had even considered killing himself rather than turning himself in. And he had written a suicide note in which he said who the body was in the freezer when he didn't kill him, it says, nor participate in the death. And then the note ended with this has nothing to do with the Wells case. Oh, no. For no reason, says that in the note, because he lived behind the TV transmission spot. Uh Oh, yeah. Okay, now. Look at my theory, how it's been completely reversed right in my face. Which is what now? This, it's the, the first guy going, the victim mm-hmm. saying, I'm not lying. Mm-hmm. And then my theory is, that's because he's lying. Mm-hmm. Well, then this guy mm-hmm. saying this has nothing to do with it. Out of nowhere. Like yeah, he hadn't yeah. even been questioned about it. Yeah, don't bring it up. No. But BTW. No. So obviously, my what my research reveals is that there's no hard and fast rule about right. statements. <laughs> or is there? Or we are not or, done yet. Oh shit! <laughs> Twists and turns all over that place. <laughs> um, they made a movie. The movie Thirty Minutes or Less. Yes, that came out like 2011. I my think. friend Ruben Fleischer directed that. Oh, nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, they think it's like loosely based on this, so there'll be twists and turns. Oh, wow. Okay, don't worry. Okay. I haven't seen it, so I don't really know. But um, all right. So here's a little bit about Marjorie, the woman who killed her uh, boyfriend. So in 19, she's fucking in 1984. She's 35. She's charged with murdering her then boyfriend Robert Thomas. Rob Thomas, isn't he from Matchbox 20? Yeah, that just hit me. She claims she shot him six times in self-defense. As you know, how you shoot someone six times in self-defense? Yes. Well, just to really finish it off, just to kill she the shit out of she's them. She's very OCD. She wanted to finish all the bullets right. in, the, in the gun. Right. Sorry, this is the same woman who had the body in the freezer. Yeah, this is the body in the freezer woman. This is a different relationship. Yes. Okay. Years before. Okay. Uh, a jury acquits her. And then four years later, her husband, Richard Armstrong, dies of his cerebral, cerebral hemorrhage. Nope. Hem- hemorrhage. Jesus, those two words together. I can't. Cerebral hemorrhage. Yeah. And, but he, when he got to the hospital, he had had a hen- head injury, but the death is still ruled accidental and never followed up with by the coroner. Which head injuries and cerebral hemorrhaging don't go, that's not a thing. They, right. do, they don't go together? No. Yeah, yeah. Cerebral hemorrhaging means your brain is bleeding, which means someone hit you really fucking hard on the head or, or something. Just, doesn't hemorrhaging just happen, though, too? Like the way when people um, have a stroke or something like that? Oh, I do. I, I feel I look, 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 look and listen. listen. Neither of us are going to claim we're right. <laughs> my ju- my assumption yeah. as a as a doctor is um, <laughs> no, I just think hemorrhaging hemorrhaging can happen in any kind of a way it's not specific to just like an aneurysm an aneurysm is when you're like a vessel in your brain explodes and then usually you die okay so yeah hemorrhaging that sounds right okay do we please doctors yes please tell us how to do this podcast the best way to let us know about something is to scream at us on twitter (laughs) i just want everyone to know that's the only time we listen that's right is screaming on with our hearts um we're doctors. Let's see. <laughs> uh, death is ruled accidental. 
So Marjorie is like extremely smart, but she suffers from bipolar disorder and she's found to be paranoid and narcissistic. In 1984, they found 400 pounds of butter and more than 700 pounds of cheese rotting inside her house. This Sorry. Is from the, this is from the Wired article. <laughs> What's up? Can I repeat this? Please. 400. So I think she was a hoarder. So 400 pounds of butter. How much is that? <laughs> it's so much. Well, a pound of butter is the four cubes. Okay. That's a pound of butter. So, so she had 400, 400 of those. those. And 700 pounds of cheese. Rotting. I mean, that's just a dream come true. <laughs> I mean, what kind I mean. of cheese? If we're talking about fucking craft singles, it's I'm Velveeta. out. If she had it stored somewhere, it's Velveeta because you can you can leave that like in a warm yeah. room for two years and nothing will happen. It's plastic. Could I tell you what Vince made me for dinner last night? Because I was like, oh, I forgot to tell you this too. Damn it. <laughs> you go. Can I get on a gross food tangent real Please. quick? Okay. So last night, Vince... Vince brought home, he did the thing of, I've been craving this thing from childhood, and I was like playing along, like, I'll try it with you, baby. <laughs> um, so he made me a bologna and American cheese sandwich on white bread. Yes. With mustard. I used to have them every single day for It school. was great. We never had, like, we never got to have any of that good stuff. Yeah. So I had nitrates. That. Some, yeah. Sometimes you, he'll fry up the bologna. Wow. <laughs> I know. But what happened, and this is just, I'm explaining who Vince is on like Saturday. I picked him up after a thing and we were both hungry and I was like, where should we go? And I always am like, no, I don't want to go there. And like, we go where I want to go. But he was like, <laughs> he was like this place, this place or this place. And I was like, okay, baby, you pick which I was being nice. Like, I'm just trying to not be a fucking asshole anymore. Good, good. Yeah. Um, Put in that effort. Yeah. yeah. So we went to the Olive Garden <laughs> for brunch on Saturday. <laughs> How do you feel about that? <laughs> All I see is like a bunch of Italian spices mixed into shit that I don't want there. Can That's I, the first thing I think of. You are 100% correct. He ordered, they had a thing called an Italian margarita. He ordered it. The guy at the bar was just like such a sassy, funny person. And he put it in front of the margarita. He put a margarita in front of him. And then he put down a little like shot glass of amaretto. And he goes, That's what makes it Italian. <laughs> I was just like, oh, I love you. It was so great. But they have a nice little soup and salad deal. Anyways, at the Bottomless end. Bottomless breadsticks, right? Yeah. Come on. The salad's actually good. Um, on the way out, a girl stops me and she goes, don't I know you? And I did the, oh, searching for my brain. And she goes, just kidding. I'm a huge fan. Uh. <laughs> um, so she was a waiter, a waitress there. And she was just like, really cool. Great. That's it. I got, okay. I got recognized at the Olive Garden because I was yes. at the Olive Garden. Hell yes. All right. Because when you're there, you're family. I was family. Nice. Um, so thank oh, wait. you. Wait, don't I recognize? You're my aunt. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hi. Oh my God, hi. Nice to see you. Yeah, Carol. Oh, all right. 700 pounds of cheese rotting inside her house. Fuck. Okay. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yes. Because you can't even get that from a store. How? It's not like you can go to an Indevance or whatever your local chain is called and be like, that's all the butter that they have for the month, essentially. Yeah. And they, yeah. Do what's she doing? Do you know how she got it? No. Okay. Nothing about it. <sighs> it's rotting. Okay. Can you imagine the smell? Like, does butter even rot? It does. Like, it turns, but it takes a long time. Yeah. Like, you can leave it out on the counter and it won't go bad for a while. <sighs> I mean. We never, we always refrigerate our butter, which I hate. Cold butter? You can put it on a plate as long as it's covered on the counter. Yeah. What are we talking about? I don't fucking know. Someone, <laughs> someone is dead. 
Someone is so many dead. people are. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I wrote so in capital because I think I knew we were going to go on this <laughs> tangent. So back to the okay. Um, in fact, when preparing to be tried in the shooting death of her first ex, psychiatrist deemed her mentally incompetent seven times before they finally ruled she was allowed to be on be tried. Which I feel like seven times means you are not ever going to be mentally and that's such a hard thing to do because everyone's like i'm mentally ill that's why i killed this oh, person trying to get out of it yeah, yeah. and they're like bullshit but Seven. sorry they kept on saying she was mentally incompetent and couldn't stand trial and then they finally were like wait no she's, on the eighth time she is yeah, she's better now oh got no it. but yeah that's yeah. ridiculous got it so i wrote so on september 21st of 2003 marjorie deal armstrong is arrested for the murder of her most recent ex the freezer guy james roden okay she pleads guilty but mentally ill but she's still sentenced to 7 to 20 years in state prison for that murder three months after she goes to prison in april federal of 2005 so I might have the dates wrong. Federal agents investigating the collar bomb mystery. They're still like, what the fuck happened? The handwriting analysis of the fucking notes are baffled. They just don't understand why this um, scavenger hunt was part of it. They do it doesn't make any sense to them. Okay. They're called. Uh, they are called from the state police officer who has just met with Marjorie in prison. She tells them that. The murder of her most recent ex-boyfriend actually had nothing to do with money, but instead was part of the collar bomb plot. So they didn't even know she was involved at this point. She just came forward with that? Yeah. Okay. She says, she tells and she was like, can I just exchange that piece of information for a stick of butter? I just want to put it <laughs> under my pillow. They only have margarine here. <laughs> it's driving me it's disgusting. I need some rotten butter. Um, well, she, what she actually wants besides just butter is a transfer from the state pen where she's in to a minimum security uh, spot much closer to Erie. And if they do that, she'll tell them everything she knows. So she begins by telling them that she was not of course i'm not involved in any way in the plot but she admits that she knew about it and that she supplied the kitchen timers <laughs> so she's the baker or the punisher of children when they were trying to fingerprint that uh kitchen timer they were just like there's no fingerprints but it is coated in butter there's yeah. like so much butter all over it we need to find the butter culprit um the butter bomber butter bomber it's even better butter uh, she tells them that the actual mastermind behind the whole plot was Bill Rothstein, the dude who lived behind the TV tower who turned her in for murder. But Bill Rothstein had died of lymphoma about a year earlier in July 2004, so they can't fucking question him. She also tells the feds that Brian Williams wasn't just the victim, but had been in on the planning from the beginning. The guy that actually blew up yeah. in the bomb? Yeah. Okay. Twists and turns. Uh, yeah. <laughs> keep keep talking. So he did what he said. I'm not lying. He you, was lying. You were right. Oh, thank God. That's why I was like, hold up. <laughs> that theory was right, right twice. Yes. Nice. Okay. Um, okay. So according to Marjorie, Brian Wells, the victim, had agreed to rob the bank wearing what he thought was a fake collar bomb. The scavenger hunt, he was told, was simply a ruse to fool the cops. If he got caught, he could say like... Well, look at these instructions as evidence that he was only following orders. Um, but at some point, Brian Wells, and you don't hear this phrase very often, is double-crossed. Yes. The fake bomb is switched out to be a real one, which he didn't know until it was strapped to his neck. They held him down at gunpoint. Because when he got to the TV station with the pizzas, he realized it was real and tried to run, and they grabbed him and held him down at gunpoint. Okay, wait. So did he not know? Is it Marjorie? Yeah. 
it, Marjorie and the guy that died Rothstein. of lymphoma. Yeah. Rothstein. He didn't know them before? He knew them. He oh, okay. thought they had all planned this thing and agreeing that it was going to be a fake uh, bomb. So, so he th- drove there as if it's like, I'm delivering pizzas to this place. Right. The whole okay. thing is him being tricked. He was in on that thinking it'd be a fake bomb. Got it. They are like, it's a real bomb. Get uh, over here. And it all falls together because yeah. then that fucking dumb dumb right. part makes perfect sense. Right. Okay. And I think even when thinking, when thinking about the dumb dumb, the way he panicked when the beeping went off is he didn't even know that it was fake until the beeping went off. That's, That's what I think. Yes. Because. You mean that it was real? Yeah. Yeah. Because even him saying, I'm not lying. He's lying. Yeah. He thinks it's not real. And I think they're telling him this. I don't know why she's telling him this, but I don't believe that. So why? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, they strap it to it in his neck at gunpoint. The FBI had already concluded they had checked out the bomb and that it was rigged. So at any attempt to remove it at all, it would have set it off. So he was destined, he was going to die no matter what. Um, then in late 2005, a few months after uh, Marjorie first talked to the feds, a witness comes forward and says that an ex-television repairman turned crack dealer <gasps> named Kenneth Barnes was also involved. Barnes was already in jail on unrelated drug charges. So when threatened with more time behind bars, he agrees to a deal. He would give the full account, blah, 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 reduce sentence. He confirms that Marjorie was, he says, which is what other people were coming forward and saying, Marjorie was the mastermind behind the collar bomb plot. He claims she needed the cash so she could pay him to kill her father for inheritance money. Jesus Christ. I know. In Erie, Pennsylvania. She's just, she's like a black widow. Yeah. Um, so he sentenced, Barnes is sentenced to 45 years behind bars, but he agrees to testify against Marjorie. He also explains Brian Wells' reasoning why he even got in on the plot for money. Um, he needed the money because he had developed a relationship with a sex worker and he had devised a scheme where he, he was like, I'm going to sell crack because I need the money to be with her. I think he was like in love with her. Um, but he had fallen into debt with the crack dealers. So He's- he needed to pay him, pay them off. Okay, so he's like the most romantic crack dealer of all time. Yeah, it's for love, which is like so sweet. And in one of the articles, it's like he was a drug dealer. And it's like, well, he wasn't. When you call him a drug dealer, you're not, you know, explaining the intricacies, which sounds like a fucking movie. Look, if you're selling crack to people, you're a drug dealer. It doesn't matter what your motives are. (laughs) You're correct. You can be a cold hearted snake or you can be. You are correct. <laughs> you could be the most nicest romantic person. If you're selling drugs. Because also it's not like, oh, he's po- selling pot. So he's getting 60 bucks yeah. a hit. He's like probably making fucking bank. And these people who are crack heads or crack addicts are ruining their <laughs> lives. So he's helping them ruin their lives. Yes, exactly. You're, you're, Eating and abetting. And then also on top of that, so that he can fuck a lady who probably doesn't give a shit one right. way or the other about him. Right. Otherwise, she wouldn't be charging him, probably. One would like to think that it would go into a Julia Roberts in right. that movie kind of direction. Right. Where she then does actually kiss him on the mouth. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. Why am I being romantic about this? <laughs> well, you probably got involved in your reading. And I I'm did. just I'm counterpointing. I it. just want to know Brian Wells more. Like, I feel he probably wasn't the sharpest needle in the tack. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I wasn't going to get that right, so I just kept going with it. You know what I mean? That was like a straight-up Yogi Berra-style quote. Just like I took all calling of Calling someone else dumb by... <laughs> You're totally right. Mixing your metaphors. Oh, man. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. To me, he's the 
he's the he lost the most he's of not story. some mastermind he's not like yeah he got duped pretty hard for a reason that you know he didn't understand was okay <laughs> da, 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 da. he also testified that marjorie's ex whose body was the freezer body was also in on the crime the reason he had been killed was because he threatened to tell the feds not because of money oh wow so that's why his freezer body happened okay when marjorie took the stand around trial she's fucking ranting and raving she's like she's bananas she's butter crazy she's butter crazy she claims to have never met brian wills in his brian wells the victim even though he testified that she had even measured his neck for the collarbone oh the jury didn't believe her she's voted guilty of armed voted guilty of armed <laughs> robbery <laughs> i wrote that day i wrote it voted guilty and i'm like I'll figure that out once we're there. <laughs> so I just read it off the paper. I mean, technically, you're right. Vote, they voted. They her. get voted guilty. Guilty yep. of armed bank robbery conspiracy using a destructive device and a crime of violence. She died on April of this year, actually, as 86 years old of natural causes. 86? Yeah, so Shit. she died in 2017 in April. Whoa. Yeah, when we were just hanging out, thinking anything was whatever, <laughs> and then she's dying. All right, last part. And this is also from Wired. Retired FBI criminal investigators, who you know are the fucking coolest people in the world. I want to have a drink with him. <laughs> Jim Fisher, this guy, thinks that there's no way that Marjorie planned the collar bomb heist. He, based on the FBI suspect profile, which they had before anyone got in trouble for this, he thinks Bill Rothstein was the mastermind. He was a handyman with the skills to create a homemade bomb. He And because... He And it wasn't about money, he thinks. Um, he had never accomplished much in his life. He wanted to show how brilliant he was by, quote, executing a crime that would grab headlines across the globe and baffle authorities for years. He recruited conspirators he knew he could control and kept crucial details of the plot from them, a tactic designed to further complicate the investigation. Wow. So he thinks he was just fucking with his head. Like, it kind of reminded me of the guy from S-Town that they... I still haven't listened to it. Well, people who have listened to S Town, the the mass, this guy was like this brilliant dude. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of that. In the end, says Jim Fisher, the son of a bitch ended up winning. Huh. Well, not so much because I'd never heard of this case before. Yeah, <laughs> but he I went. Mean, we are talking about it now. He won by dying a free man. Yes, that's true. You know? And baffling the shit. And they still don't really understand how and what happened. Which isn't a victory because that just means you went crazy. You victimized a bunch of people and it doesn't make sense why you did it. Yeah. Uh, that's not like no. to your genius credit. No, that's I think that's fucked up. What he specifically wanted, yeah. which again is not a genius move. It's like I, I, for me. Like the kitchen timer right there proves that he's not a genius. Yeah. Like get one of those LED digital readout timers or get the fuck out of town. Well, I think what he wanted to prove is he could fucking make a bomb in his whatever garage out of anything. You know, those people who like to take things apart and put them back together just to see how they work <laughs> instead of reading a fucking book and just chilling out. <laughs> take a nap. Uh, yeah, I guess that's true. Well, that was fascinating. Yeah, wasn't it? And the, uh, I'd say look at the picture of him sitting in the middle of the road. Go nowhere near the video of him no. getting blown up. In fact, I want you to see the picture, kind of. Steven, can you pull that up? Just to, just to see. It's just this, like, clear afternoon news story okay. of him sitting there. They're not too close. I can totally picture it. He I looks almost like it. a mannequin sitting there. Ugh. It's just like this still body. Not dead. I'm talking about when he's... He was just waiting. Yeah. So was that the bomb, whole bomb squad thing? They were just waiting for the bomb squad to show up. Yeah. That's what, he was just sitting on the curb. And they were calling the bomb squad. But also, they weren't sure if he was even in on it. So they had his, their guns drawn on him. Yeah. That one. 
Go look up the picture. Oh. Everyone. Yeah, it's oh. like it's like a bummer. Obviously, it looks like when someone gets stopped at a traffic thing and then they go to arrest him. Yeah, it looks like that. Like he's an unruly drunk driver. Yeah. Um. What's that? Do you know what his shirt says or what that it says? Guess. Oh, that's the guess thing. Yeah. <laughs> and they think that's part of it. It's like Bill Rothstein put a shirt on him that says guess. That's fucked up. I know. Wow, that's a good one. Thank you. It's so weird because I saw this like it was from 2003. I think I saw maybe a City Confidential or a 2020 like pretty immediately after it happened. So I no one still knew what was going on. Um, and it just stuck with me. And it was one of those ones where I was like, everyone knows this one. So I'm not going to do it. And then I was like, well, maybe they don't. So, I mean, the one I thought it was, was there's an I survived about a woman who gets home invaded. <gasps> they it's her and her daughter. Right. And they put a bomb on her and make her go rob a bank. Right. And she and they're like, if you say anything, it's the same exact thing. But she really was, uh, you know, she was a victim and survived it. They get they, they ended both up did. getting off her. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Phew. I know. Well, I think you're first this time this week. <laughs> There's something about the sound of an old-timey cash register that really takes me back. I know. It sounds like someone is about to hand me an ice cream cone, but it also sounds like we just sold some merch. That's right. And if you're a Shopify user like us, you know that this sound means you just made a sale. Shopify has helped millions of businesses sell their products online, but did you know they also offer the same support for brick and mortar stores? From accepting payments to managing inventory, they have everything you need to sell in person. So give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify POS tracks sales across all your locations. That way you'll always know what you have in stock and where. They also provide reliable tech that fits your unique retail needs, like turning a tablet into a credit card reader. And if you're looking to reach new customers, check out Shopify's marketing tools. They're easy to use and they integrate with all social media platforms. With Shopify, we have a powerful partner for managing our sales. And if you're a business owner, you can too. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period today at shopify.com murder and here's the important note that promo code is all lowercase so go to shopify.com slash murder and take your retail business to the next level that's shopify.com slash murder again don't forget the code is all lowercase goodbye okay my turn let's um, do it <laughs> i don't know what that voice was <laughs> um i i this story is I've been trying to do it for a really long time, um, but I, because I've been reading an Anne Rule book about Ooh. this serial killer, and uh, but then I think Frank ate the back half of the book. <laughs> it turned into a thing where then I had to, I was trying to find the book again and whatever. I think we should make for new listeners. Frank is her dog. It's not her boyfriend. That's who's right. Eating the back of her book. Um, I have a really nervous boyfriend named Frank. <laughs> he doesn't like when I learn things. He doesn't like when I leave the house. Um, so, but, but the first chapter of this book is one of the most hook you in <gasps> and you can't stop reading chapters. It's Anne Rule. So I know. She's, I've been meaning to read a new one by her. So maybe yeah, it, this is a great one. I had bought one at the airport on uh, the last tour. That was a, it, it was a bunch of different stories kind of all put together. Nice. Um, but I re I realized that like, that's a little bit too depressing because it's just almost like the same thing over yeah, and over again. Yeah, and I like her thoughts on it and stuff. Yeah, you, I, I, I think I enjoy like the full thing more. But the the cool thing about Anne Rule is that she just goes so far into the victims' lives, so you get all that information. So if anybody, if this is an interesting story to you, uh, Anne Rule wrote a book called Lust Killer, and it's about this guy. But this is the best part. So I. 
texted Stephen yesterday. I was like, can you please get me a chronology of this guy so that I can get ahead on this story? And so he looked up and found um, this chronology that was put together by some people in the Department of Psychology at Radford University in Radford, Virginia. And those people are Mike Keith, Audrey Mag- Mangrum, I was going to say Magnum, Audrey Mangrum, Kimberly Mast, Heather McGinn, Ryan Miller, Kristen Pouchot, Nicole Newsom, and Vicki Tanner. A lot of ladies. Uh, so many ladies. Fuck yeah. Um, it doesn't say if they are like students. It doesn't right. say who they are in the department or whatever, but they put together, it's like an Excel spreadsheet yeah. of the, the years and then the significant like moments in this guy's life. Nice. Which is a lifesaver yeah. for doing a show like this. I, I yeah, I need that. Yeah. So many times. We need it every GD yeah. week. And then instead you have to read 1800 articles to find that. Yeah. Which is fine and it's fun. Fine. It's good. But then yeah. when you have a spine like this, these guys did yeah. amazing work. Really good. It's just very great detail work where sometimes when you're reading a story, if you read two articles, the second one contradicts the first one. Right. Then you're like, well, did he join the army or not? Like, it's yeah. that thing. I always am like, well, the first one said this, so I believe it. And it's just the first one I picked <laughs> to read. It's not like, I'm lying about this guy. Wikipedia overall. All right. Uh, okay, so it's Jerry Brudos, the shoe fetish slayer. <gasps> He's, you've seen, there's one million all true crime shows about him, and there's a law and order that's basically his story. So, Jerry Brudos is born January 31st, 1939. In Webster, sorry, what's his name? I didn't hear that. Jerry Brudos okay. uh, is born on January 31st, 1939 in Webster, South Dakota. And it turns out um, he was an accident, and his mother wanted a girl. Oh, so, okay. Uh, they lived on a farm when he was five they moved to Portland Oregon and they basically move uh, it looks like every two to five years his whole childhood and into his uh-huh. adult life which sucks and also it doesn't say any, this anywhere at all that my theory is that his dad was an alcoholic or somebody in the family was an alcoholic where they had to just keep leaving town right. and starting over right um, but also they I think he starts his dad starts out as a farmer and it might just be that they're trying to he's trying to basically be a migrant farmer and like go to the new place where you yeah, can make follow money. the money but every two years it's just so disruptive yeah and fucked oh, up. so sad um but anyway so one day he's wandering around alone at the junkyard when he's five years old as you do and uh he finds a pair of open-toed spike heeled shoes <gasps> And he is obsessed no. immediately. Yes, this is his jam. He puts them on. He probably never sees women wearing that kind of thing where he's from, maybe. Like, his mom probably doesn't wear shit like that. I don't know. Yeah. But he goes crazy. He plays with them. He takes them home. His mom finds them and uh-huh. goes berserk on him and is, like, screaming, whatever, and, like, never touch these again. You're not supposed to touch. You're not supposed to like this, whatever. Which is a great way to get your kid to be really into something. Yeah. Hi. Hi, we know that. So let's take a five-year-old yeah. and be like, this is forbidden. Right. And then this see what is, happens. You don't understand why it's forbidden. Yeah. Yeah. Eventually, he he kept finding them and, pl- like, she would take them away from him. Finally, she burned them to symbolically for him. Perfect. Uh, when he's six, they move to Riverton, California, and he's in the first grade. Um, his teacher 
wore high heel shoes and kept another pair in the classroom. So he tried uh-huh. to steal them one day so Jesus. he could take them home. But a, another kid in the class saw him and told on him. Uh, so from a v- first grade, this is like a yeah. very, very early age. Um, he fails second grade. Uh, he is diagnosed with measles, sore throat, swollen glands, laryngitis. Um, he, he has frequent headaches that actually leave him unable to see clearly. Oh my God. So he's got some stuff going on, but also all of those, um, illnesses that he has, it makes me go like, were you not taken care of very well? Definitely not fed well. Yeah. Did you not sleep correct? You know, like why would you just be constantly sick? Yeah. Um, so, in 1947, when he's eight years old, the family moves to Grants Pass, Oregon, uh, and next door, there's a house uh, that has, I think it's three teenage girls. Aye. Right. So um, they have a little brother, and, Jer- and um, Jerry starts sneaking into that house with the brother to steal these girls' underwear. Oh, my God. Um, they first they play in the clothes then he like discovers the underwear and then he so it goes from shoes to undergarments Mm -hmm. um a couple years later the family moves again to wallace pond um because jerry's father is getting back into farming and um his when he's going through puberty his mother is disgusted by anything Uh. sexual um that jerry does you know if he has a wet dream she makes him wash his sheets by hand um there's a lot of shaming a lot of like sounds like verbal abuse um how to create a serial killer yeah i mean uh so he starts to fantasize that he wants to capture a girl and um, make her obey his commands and beg for mercy. Uh, So when he's around 16, um, he steals an 18-year-old girl's underwear. Then he decides that he wants nude pictures of her. So he tells her... um, that he has found out who stole her underwear and to meet her, to meet him at her, at his house. So the girl goes over to his house and she is there. She's attacked by a masked man, um, who forces her to take off her clothes and takes pictures of her. Um, and then the man runs away and then the girl gets dressed and she goes to leave and she runs into Jerry and Jerry says, I was locked in the barn this whole time. What happened? I just saw a guy running out of here in a mask. Mm. The girl runs away, reports the whole thing to police. Mm -hmm. So essentially he's trying to, and there was another story, but I could not find it anywhere of him doing that and coming back in and saying that he was his own twin brother. Oh my God. And that really sorry. It was like one of the first times he did this. He was really sorry. He, he basically makes a, a girl, a young girl, his age, take off her clothes, takes pictures of her leaves, changes his clothes, combs his hair differently, comes in and goes, I'm sorry about my brother, Jerry. I'm his brother. What a crazy, creepy. That like creeps me out. It's so creepy. And of course, and I think that little girl from the story that I remember didn't report it to the police. It was just like this weird fucked up thing. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I know it's, it's, uh, it's, it's also that kind of indicative of that, the sociopathic thing of I'm smarter than everybody. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no way anyone's going to find out my, here's my great plan. Mm-hmm. I'm going to play my own identical twin. Yeah. Insane. Yeah. This is not full house. Yeah. Exactly. So, okay. So, um, when he's 17, he lures a girl into his car. He drives her to a deserted farmhouse, beats her up. And by 
some miracle, there's a couple that's like sightseeing out in the country and they stop at the same abandoned farmhouse what? and they find, they like walk in on <gasps> what's happening and call the cops. Um, so Jerry claims that he'd also stopped to help the girl because they find him and her and she's tied up. Mm -hmm. He says, no, I found her that way. I was here to help her. Police don't believe it. Um, and they finally, they talked to him long enough and he confesses. So he's arrested for assault and battery and in, they find in his house and in his car, women's underwear, uh, pictures and photo equipment. Um, so soon after his arrest, they send him to Oregon state hospital, the psychiatric ward for nine months. Um, how do you think that that wasn't a fucking vacay? Probably no a psychiatric hospital back then. What year is it? It's 1969, oh, no. I believe. Fuck no, no, it's fire hose. Bad news. Time. Um, he starts talking to the doctors there about his sexual fantasies, his hatred, um, and revenge. Uh, the revenge he wants to take against his mother and women in general. Um, and he's diagnosed with schizophrenia, which was actually a common thing that would happen back then. That that it wasn't actually an accurate. Um, mm, diagnosis. Like a blanket diagnosis. Exactly. It was just kind of like you are, you're, um, what is that called? I was, I want to say devious, but it's, uh, nothing. I, not, I was going to say deviant, devious. Yeah, deviant. That's it. Deviant. Okay. I was going to say that, but then you said devious. He's a deviant. He's a deviant. That's Got what it. I was trying to say. Got it. Steven, I love that you looked you at me like, don't can, you fucking, can you help me? Will <laughs> I, you try? You said the only word I was thinking. <laughs> okay. So, um, so, and they also, they, the things that he's telling them that he likes, they don't, they don't know how to classify mm, that. There's not a thing yet. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, whatever they, there might've been, but they're basically like slap schizophrenia on him and like treat, and, him, for, treat him for that, which yeah. is probably electric shock therapy. Uh, he's still, graduates with this high school class in 1957. Wow. Oh, so this is the okay. late 50s. It's okay. not even the 60s. Wow. Um, so then he joins the army in 1959. He tells the army psychiatrist about these same obsessions and the, and the psychiatrist has him discharged from the army. Oh. Um, so he moves back in with his parents. Now they live in Corvallis, Oregon, and um, he has to live in their shed. Oh, they make him live out back in the shed. I mean, he's an adult now. Can we please fucking treat him like a human or get an apartment yeah i mean yeah so uh one night he's running an errand and um there's he sees a young girl walking by herself and he decides he's gonna follow her and he so he basically stalks her follows her home um attacks her strangles her until she's unconscious <gasps> and then steals her shoes and that night he slept with the shoes um, oh my god this is so creepy this is nothing oh no yeah um so he becomes an electronics technician uh, in 1961 when he's 21 he gets a job at a radio st station and that's when he meets his future wife 17 year old darcy metzler yeah oh darcy run darcy um of course, Darcy's parents don't approve of the, the relationship because she's so young. And because of that, they're married within a few months of meeting each That's other. That's how it's like, let's solve this by marrying them. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Well, it's like you want to get out of your parents' house anyway. Yeah. This guy comes along. Yeah. He loves underwear. You got to get him. <laughs> so tie that guy down. Right. Literally. <laughs> oh. Oh. So they settle in Salem, Oregon. 
Um, and Jerry's thing is he wants her to do all of her housework in the nude so he can take pictures of her while she's doing it. Oh, she's like, I'm sweating. She's like, I'm swiffering. Yeah. Um, yeah. And she's so young that she's completely kind of under his control. Yeah, she probably doesn't know what if this is normal or not. Exactly. Yeah. This is now married life. Yeah. She's, you know, like, I guess this is what you do yeah. as a wife. Yeah. Um, and around the same time, he starts um, complaining that he's getting migraines so bad that he's blacking out. Mm. And that the only thing that helps alleviate those symptoms is going on uh, night prowling raids to steal shoes and underwear from local women. Everyone who's been taking Advil for your fucking migraines. We've got a new solution. Yeah. Um, it's a way creepier solution. So, um, he would keep all of those trophies, uh, mm-hmm. trophies, trophies, uh, shoes and underwear in a garage that he had built. It was like a sub basement, um, that his wife couldn't enter into until she announced her arrival on an intercom. It was, he was locked down in this basement and she'd have to be like, honey, can I bring, can I bring you some Ritz? Um, <laughs> Okay, so let me put this away real quick. Yeah, he set, he has it set up where it's like this is my man cave. You're not allowed down here. Mm-hmm. Um, so in 1962, they have a daughter, but Jerry can't hold a steady job. Um, they move all the time. They finally settle back in Portland. Jerry becomes an electrician. In 1967, they have a son, so have two kids. Um, but his wife won't let him in the delivery room when she's having the, ba- the her second baby. Hmm. Um, and he, uh, he's so hurt by this was what this, uh, article was saying, or like uh, it affected him so much. That's when the raping and the killing starts. Wait, isn't that normal for back then? Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's probably, I, I'm assuming this is his story of yeah. him being like, it pissed me off so much, you know, like that's the wife's fault. I think that's so normal. I think even when my, in the seventies, when my brother was born, my dad wasn't allowed in there. Right. Like but, this, but this was the wife's decision. This is oh, what they're saying. Okay. Yeah. So it makes it sound like he was allowed in for their first right, child right. and not this, some weird thing had happened. Yeah. Um, so which, that's why he, that's what he says. Yeah. Of course, it's someone else's fault. Right. But also, I imagine they've now been married for six years mm-hmm. or so. She's probably seen some weird shit mm-hmm. and she's heard some weird shit. And there's a whole room she's locked out of all the time. So she's probably there's, you know, like, who knows what her state is. She knows him well enough that he doesn't want to go in there for the miracle of his child being born. He wants to go in there for something fucking creepy. To, yeah, she doesn't trust it. Right. How unnerving oh my god like if i see my husband's face when i'm giving birth i'm gonna cry i will barf barf and cry i'll barf cry and then shit on the table which is what everyone does apparently (laughs) my friend michelle balloon does that no i've heard that it's terrifying Uh, that's the most terrifying part (laughs) um okay so shortly after that uh the childbirth he um, claims that he stalked a woman in Portland, Oregon, followed her home, waited for her to fall asleep, broke into her house to steal her shoes. But then when she woke up mid robbery um, and catches him, he chokes her until she passes out, rapes her, steals her shoes and then leaves. Oh my God. Um, so then in January of 1968, um, and this is the this is the woman who Anne Rule's book starts with. Oh, okay. Um, I forgot about that part. Yeah. So she starts with this, the first murder victim. Okay. And her name was, <clears throat> her name was Linda Slauson. She was selling encyclopedias door to door in the rain. 
in Portland. Oh no! And at night. No, 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 no! This and sounds like a horror movie. I, well, completely. The way this is written, it's like she's trying to decide. She hasn't had any sales. Oh. She's just moved out on her own. She's gonna keep trying. What, she maybe needs the next the money. Yeah. yeah, she like needs the money. She has to eat. Like things are going bad. And then there's like one last house that has a light on, and she's like, I just want to go home. I'll just try this one last time. And back then they aren't as scared as we are today and weary. No. Weary of. There were so many door-to-door salesmen and women back then. Yeah. And you'd let them in your house and it was. Yeah. And 90% of the time nothing happened. That's right. Just a lot of vacuum sales. Right. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So, so she goes up and she rings Jerry Brutus's doorbell. He is, you see a picture of him. He looks like a cartoon. He looks like the missing friend on King of the Hill. Like he's just, he looks like grown up Charlie Brown with army issue black glasses on. Oh, grown up Charlie Brown. Just a Brown. big round head. Like pasty. No distinguishing features. A little lumpy. Uh, yeah, kind of like a, almost like a bit of a snowman. Um, just round, round, round. I love the picture in my head. I, I never want to see what he actually looks like. Just a vicious snowman. Okay. Um, okay. But he, when he answers the door, friendly, nice, low key. Um, and he bring, he's, Oh, come in. I actually just was, I really wanted to get a set of those. Acts super interested. Then explains that his, I think he said his children were sleeping. I think that's what his excuse was. Can you come down into the basement? Oh. Yeah. So they could talk business down there. Well, she goes down, uh, um, and he almost immediately hits her with, in the head with a two by four, oh. um, beats her and then strangles her to death. Oh my and God. And then. Did he mean to that time? Do you think? Yes. Okay. That was the whole idea. Cause he was strangling till they passed out before that. Right. Okay. But this girl comes to his door and then he's like, the wife was out. And he knew he had time to do whatever okay. he wanted. Um, so once before she, uh, after she's dead and before he gets rid of the body, he takes off her clothes and dresses her up in the stolen underwear that he has in his collection. Um, then, this is bad, he cuts off her left foot and keeps it in the freezer in a high-heeled shoe. So it's like he has... No, I'm just processing right. that. Holy so, shit! That is crazy. Yeah. So then when he, and at some point there, his wife came home and he went back upstairs and like ate dinner with the family. (gasps) I believe I read that in the Anne rule book, but I, um, I'm almost positive that that's happening. He, he basically had family interactions like right after doing super normal. Well, probably as normal as he is. Right. Yeah. He's probably always coming up from that sub basement a little bit sweaty. Sure. (laughs) So later in that night, he rolls her in a rug, drives to a bridge, uh, pulls out all the stuff to make it look like he got a flat tire as okay. almost like safety. Okay. And then dumps her body in, in the river. Um, so in, then in July of 1968, so that was January. So six months later, Stephanie Vico is reported missing from Portland. Um, and then in November, the same year, Jan Susan Whitney is reported missing from Portland. Um, Jan's 23-year-old college student at the University of Oregon. Um, then in March of 1969, so about six months later, a woman named Karen Sprinkler, who was a 19-year-old college student, goes missing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, when the police take uh, the, the eyewitness accounts of Karen going missing, two young girls tell the police they saw a large man dressed as a woman <gasps> on the parking lot garage roof where Karen's abandoned car was found on that day. Wow. 
if you see a picture of this guy and then you picture him l lurking around a, like a parking structure dressed as a woman, it's very scary. The, oh it's the scare. It's anyway. It sounds like um, uh, Norman. Norman Bates. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Dressed yeah. like his mom, kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Creepy. Uh, because probably from a distance, you're like, oh yeah, there's there's a woman yeah. up here on the same parking thing. You'd be you'd feel. I think that's part of what's yeah. so sinister to me. You're lured into safety of like, oh, that's a woman just like me. I'm oh, fine. I, I could see myself doing that completely for sure. Yeah. Um. So a month later, um, a woman named Sharon Wood uh, is a is attacked in a parking garage at Portland State University. Mm -hmm. Um. Uh, she fends off her attacker by biting his thumb until it bled. Um, and it, of course, turns out to be Jerry. Once she does this, um, he beats her unconscious, but then a car comes. Mm. So he has to run. So, uh, the police get the report of this, make no connection to the other parking garage attack. Mm -hmm. Um, the next day after that attack, Jerry sees 14-year-old Leanne Brumley. He tries to abduct her. She fights him off and escapes. Mm, good for you. Day after that, a woman named Linda Dawn Saley is reported missing. Her car is found abandoned in a parking garage. Oh. Um, the police realize now that yeah. they're dealing with a serial killer. Um, so the next month, which is May of 1969, a local fisherman discovers Linda Saley's body in the Long Tom River. It was weighed down by a uh, car transmission. Mm. And then two days after that, Karen Spr Sprinkler's body is found 50 feet away. Oh, my God. So that's obviously his dumping ground. Right. Um, uh, Karen was also tied to an old engine, which is the reason it kept her submerged for a long time. And he this is bad. Okay. He cut off her breasts to keep his souvenirs. Um, he also placed a bra from his collection uh, of undergarments over her mangled chest. Oh my is, god! Is the way they worded it. Yeah. Um, so this guy is basically berserking. Yeah. He's like he's killing. He's trying to attack women almost daily. Wow. Killing people, and then these bodies are coming up of of when he like it's it's just all going faster and faster. Yeah, like he started and then was fucking on. Yes. And then anytime he can't, it he can't, you know, someone gets away, then he has to do, try it again the very next day. Right. So it's like, um, wow. So the same month, he starts calling dorm rooms at Oregon State University to try to arrange blind dates with the co ed. Oh, what the fuck? And it works. No. Uh huh. What does he say? He, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I want to know how he. Oh. I mean,. Uh, I would love to. I would love to know, and I bet you it's in that book. I promise I'm going to finish no, no, reading this book. I'm just wondering. Everyone else should read it with me, but um, yeah, it, insane. Uh, so they're now the police now are onto the pattern. They're staking out places where young coeds hang out, where they end up, like parking structure stuff like that. Um, a female student who claims to have gone on a blind date with this guy goes to police and gives his description. So now the police know what he looks like. Wow. And when he contacts her a second time for a follow-up mm -hmm. date, she calls the police <gasps> and tells them. So <clears throat> they, the police show up at the meeting spot. Fuck yeah. They question Jerry uh, at the girls' residence hall. So, oh, so no. fucking intense at Oregon State. Um, but he's so cooperative and... 
he gave his ID, nothing came back. It all seemed legit. So he was not arrested Um, because all they had on him was you're just trying to make blind dates with people, which is not illegal. Yeah. But a bummer. Yeah. Um, But then the thank God the police after that interaction with him, go back and they look up his record. They look into him further. And the blind date went forward after that. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, once he got cleared by the cops, she's like, so do you like roller skating? Um, so they look into his record they decide to go to his house for some follow up questions and there they see several suspicious items in his garage in his sub basement Mm -hmm. thing and they start building a case against him because they're like they're the old classic line of cops we like this guy Um, yeah so eventually they have enough evidence to arrest to get an arrest warrant he tries to run um while they're the police are serving him with the arrest warrant uh, never do that never it's never gonna work no if the cops are there yeah you're done yeah um but the warrant was for the attempted deduction of leanne brumley um from the month before yeah and so then they starting they get him in t- take him downtown whatever and they start interrogating him and um he tries to call he he tries to call his wife and t- get her to burn stuff, clothing <gasps> and like his his underwear collection and oh all my. this other evidence. He's like, now you can go into the sub basement. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, here's the here's the basket. Oh here's my the god. Password. Um, <laughs> but Darcy's like, give fuck yourself mm-hmm. for real, Darcy. So Darcy's over it. She's she's had it. Um, so. The investigator's name was Jim Stovall, and he basically gets Jerry Brudos to confess to the murders um, of the two recently discovered bodies, as well as the murder of Linda Slauson and Jan Whitney. Wow. Um, He's test. Jerry Brudos is tested by several psychologists, psychiatrists, sorry. And um, he shows average IQ and cognition deemed not criminally insane, Mm -hmm. uh, which I'm not. I don't understand. Because how can you be a serial like murder people and not be a little insane? Yeah. But I'm not sure what criminally insane must have a very specific thing. Hardcore. Yeah. But he is diagnosed as an antisocial personality manifested by fetishism, transvesticism, exhibitionism, voyeurism, and and sadism. Isn't trans? Isn't it funny that back then transvesticism is a crime? Yes, it's insane. Yeah, and it wasn't that long ago. I yeah, mean, like what is it? It's nineteen sixty something. Oh, I lost my paper. We're in like we're in the late 60s, mm-hmm. 1969. Mm-hmm. I'm sure someone's going to tell us when it went tell and it's going to be recent. Yeah. Well, I mean, they just fucking passed a thing. It's it's uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. OK, so they they collect all the evidence. Um, he's eventually charged with three counts of first degree murder. Um, Jan Jan Whitney, Linda Saley, Karen Sprinkler. He um, tries to uh plead not guilty not guilty by reason of insanity um but eventually they just get him to plead guilty uh-huh. um and so on the same day that he pleads guilty he's sentenced to three consecutive life sentences because wow. he confessed right right um there's no death penalty in Oregon, so they just give him three consecutive life sentences um he's never charged with the murder of linda slauson because her body was never found oh no yeah um that's so sad now Around the time of all of these murders, 12 women went missing in that area. Um, 
while he was free. Oh my God. Uh, so an investigation was ongoing to attempt to uncover the whereabouts of those other missing women. Um, and at one point, a neighbor of the Brutuses implicated Darcy in the <gasps> murders, claiming that she had helped Jerry carry a body from the garage. And she actually ended up going to trial for it no. and being acquitted. Holy shit. Yes. Do you think she did? Cause what a bummer to like, have, a have your husband turn out to be a serial killer yes. and be you're implicated in it and they have nothing to do with it. I mean, that's what I would think. I, I, I don't think someone, I, I, I don't know. And Who knows? based on what she's already done, you would think that she would testify against him for immunity if she actually knew something. Right. And if she didn't burn, the, right. when he called and was like, get rid of the evidence, she's like, no way. Yeah. It, that doesn't seem like a person who's like in it, in it for the yeah. long haul or yeah. like his accomplice. Yeah. Um, for sure. And, uh, yeah. Anyhow, he goes to jail. Um, but he also had piles of women's shoe catalogs <sighs> in his cell. Uh, he would write to the companies and ask for their, the catalogs. So uh -huh. they were, he claimed that subject substituted for pornography for him. Um, holy shit. And he actually, uh, it says he lodged countless appeals, including one in which the, he allegedly, oh, sorry. He lodged countless appeals, including one in which he alleged that a photograph taken of him with one of the corpses could not prove his guilt because it was not the body of the person he was convicted of killing. So he, they found a picture of him posing with a dead uh, body, but he was, it? well, I'm probably him. Right, I would imagine right, on a timer, maybe. Yeah. Kitchen timer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but so it's like that kind of thing where he's arguing like, look, that's not the dead body. Then, it, Hey, you can't Someone like one else. It's so insane. It's a picture of you posing with a dead body. Yeah. Anyway, he died in prison on March 28, 2006 from liver wow. cancer. He lived for a long fucking time. In fact, at the time of his death, he was the longest incarcerated inmate in the Oregon department of corrections, a total of 37 years. Oh my God. Yeah. My age. Yeah. How my entire life is how long he was in prison. Yeah. Holy shit. Uh, so if you want to read Lust Killer, I'm going to finish it and then we'll know all those details because wow. um, I really do want to know like all that stuff at the end. Yeah. And I bet you it'll it'll talk more about Darcy, too, because I it I'm sure she talked to Anne Roll. I bet you she talked. You to think Anne so? Roll. I oh, bet I'd she did. Love to hear more from Darcy. Um, I'll try to finish that okay. pretty soon. But I also thanks to those people from uh, Radford University. Your research helped me do my thing. Thanks, guys. Shout outs to fucking helpers. This <laughs> yep. episode, <laughs> Wired magazine, all this. Um, wow. What a creep. I had never heard that one. It's bad. Yeah. It's one of those ones I've been working on, but every time I go to do yeah. it, I'm like, it's just a, I mean, it's just, there's no, uh, but the, the only thing it was the two points. I always look for those cinematic moments. One cinematic moment is a person dressed up like a woman hiding in a parking garage, Yes, which is the scariest, like beyond. Yeah. And, and then the other one, is that chi as a child attacking that little girl and then being like, I'm my twin brother, oh where it's like, God. how fucking crazy are you? That's like psych psycho level. Yeah. <gasps> Do you have a good thing for this week? I have a good thing this week. Obviously, 
it's Elvis getting better and, the, and Mimi getting better. But now that they are better, I can I can say what was going to be last week before this happened, which is ha- a kitten, man, a new kitten. Like nothing will make it more exciting in your house. Like just <laughs> watching her playing with a little toy by herself is like joyous. Yes. And then at night, oh my God, at night, she nurses, tries to nurse Vince's head <laughs> and it drives him crazy. <laughs> But it's like the cute, I like pull her away, but not before I look at it for a minute. It's just so cute. And she like nuzzles and she's a real character. And I like having her around. She's super cute. Yeah. And it's funny because she matches Mimi. They, it's like they have the same jacket on, <laughs> but Mimi's like, I fucking hate you. Mimi's jacket's like obviously a little more worn in. It's because it's a little lighter in color. <laughs> yep. She's washed it more and yes. she fucking hates the kitten. Yeah. Her kitten's name is Dottie. She's a real doll. So what's yours? Mine is, I did a show last night at Largo. Uh, it was a comedy show for Brian Posehn, who had, uh, who's been doing comedy for 30 years. So it was his 30 year anniversary wow. in comedy. So he, uh, asked a bunch of us to do the show with him, who nice. he's been doing it with that long. And so it was me, Blanca Patch, um, Derek Sheen, um, Dana Gould, Greg Proops, and Guy Obelum. And it was such a good what show. A like idea for a show. It was so fun. And then so everyone was like obviously doing their act, but then also telling these stories and doing jokes from their act from back then. Wow. It, and it was so fun. And everyone was so insanely solid. But then it also was like at a couple moments, I was, it was very touching because I was like, I said something about how lucky I felt to have kind of happened into this tribe that I found where it's like, you know, when the, those people in San Francisco, those comics that, that I met and got to be friends with that all ended, we all just moved en masse to LA together. Yeah. And it was just such an amazing group of talented people who are geniuses and so fun. And like telling stories where we're like, I had a recovered memory on stage where I was like, Brian, remember when OJ ran and we were in Golden Apple Comics? And like, it was just like a whole thing like that. Yeah. Where it was really, really fun. That's such a nice thing to like, you know, you're going through this and you're, or like, you've been in comedy this long and you're keeping, you're doing it and you're doing it. But then to like stop and take, take stock of it. Yeah. It's such a cool thing. And I really, I like that you guys did that. I did too. And it takes stock in this kind of like, I don't, it was almost like a high school. It had a high school feeling in, in me, like meaning and the, you're part of, you're part of this big force and you you're part of it. Yeah. You belong in it. And and I think like when you're in that, you of course don't appreciate it because you're young and an asshole drunk all the time (laughs) and kind of on pills, but, um, yeah, when you later on, when you get older, you know, just just know that like if when you have your like posse of friends, yeah. it doesn't last because everyone gets married or you know maybe moves away or whatever or quits comedy for whatever reason. Or yeah, something exactly. Like that. It's just kind of people move away from each other and in ways that you kind of don't expect. And then so I think there there was a nice kind of like yeah uh, reunion feel to it that I really That's liked. So awesome. Yeah, it's those good feelings. Yay. And I, because I really always, I hate doing stand up comedy so much and I very <laughs> often cancel my sets because yeah. I'm like, there's no point. And I knew I couldn't do it because yeah. I wouldn't do that to Brian. That's and a special one. So then when I was actually doing it, I was like, oh, I do like it. <laughs> I, that's right. I do like comedy. Yeah. It's just, you got to pick the ones that mean something to you, I guess. Yeah. And just like acknowledge when I'm busy. Right. And tie tie tired and busy i get so tight so tired um well should i see if anyone is gonna talk 
Elvis isn't. Mimi. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> um, thank you guys for listening. Uh, yeah. We yeah. Go on to the website uh, if you want to get those pre-sale tickets for the upcoming tour. Australia heads up. Australia, get ready. Get in there. Australia, be our friend. Yeah. Um, and that's it. Stay sexy. Don't get murdered. Bye. Bye. Mimi, want a cookie? No. Mimi. Not th- not this week. <laughs> Mimi's, Mimi's like leaning away from the microphone. Mm-hmm.